Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Amen. Well, good morning. If you would, open up your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And then uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. And just hold your place in both of those. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, come to you. We lift you up. God, we ask that your message would be heard this morning, that hearts would be prepared. And God, that we would be ready to take action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you look in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 27 to you, and it says this. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. You know, death and taxes seem to be those two things that everybody universally agrees that are inevitable. And I read somewhere recently that the only difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. Well, this week um, I had the opportunity one more time to uh, face uh, death. Uh, not me personally, but one of my best friends uh, went to be with the Lord. And I had the opportunity to preach at his funeral. And as I think about it, and I looked at the program that was uh, put there on the front of it, it said this, Robert Buster May, 1970 to 2019. Well, you know, as I think about that, it has, has a, a lot to do with me personally. Number one, that, that number 1970, well, that's a, a year that one day my gravestone will hold. And then here it was, uh, one of my closest friends died of a heart attack, was ha having uh, medical conditions, but certainly nobody expected this. And so at the end of that dash, there was another number put, 2019. And church, I want to just share something with you that our lives are nothing but a parenthesis when it comes to eternity. It's just a very small time. Very little space in between those two parentheses. And whether or not we want to re recognize it, we all have a date after the dash. Most of us just don't know what it is. There are some people who are given prognosis and they're given a date that it's going to most likely be. And what's interesting is they, their life changes when, when you're given a number after the date. And then some, it happens very quickly. Where, matter of fact, when I was talking with his daughter, they had just uh, recently, he, he said that 88 was going to be the number. That, that's where he was going for. 
unfortunately, the Lord had other plans and took him home. And if you read that scripture in Hebrews 9, 27, it says very clearly, it is appointed for man to die once. And after this, the judgment. And so today in week nine of this series, the beginning of the end times, I want to tell you about the judgment. And I want to tell you about the second death. If you have your note takers, I encourage you to, to pull those out. And Carrie, if you would get me one, I meant to bring one up here with me and I'm going to need it at the end. So if you read through the book of Revelation, it talks about two different judgments. And if you're not careful, it's easy to get them confused. And so today, uh, the timing of them are separated. They're separated by a thousand years at least. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to wait until this week, and I wanted to talk about them both, not in the uh, order that they appear, but both of them side by side in parallel, and kind of walk through them with you and show you um, the similarities and the differences that they have because uh, they, are, they, they absolutely have both of those. And so on your note taker, you'll see that there's a column for the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, sometimes you may hear preachers refer to this as the Bema judgment. Uh, one way to think about this, this is uh, like the, the seat where after the Olympic Games, um, the person in charge of the games will give different medals and that's what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Our, what we've done is going to be measured and uh, held to a standard. And then uh, Jesus Christ himself is going to recognize uh, those things that we did. And then there is another judgment called the great white throne judgment. This is a judgment that uh, I hope none of us and no one that hears my voice ever has to appear in. And the reality is this, that none of us do. It's a choice we all make. We all get to decide which of these two judgments we'll face. So as I go through this, think about that. So some of the uh, similarities that they all have are both of them have a judge, and, and both of them actually have the same judge, and that is Jesus Christ. Now why would Jesus Christ be the judge? Why not God himself? Well, it's very simple. Jesus Christ is the judge because it was Jesus Christ who gave up his form as a son of God, came to this earth as a human, lived a life, and when he lived it, he lived it perfectly. I've told you this many times that there's two ways that we can get to heaven. Now, usually when I say that, those of you that are sleeping, wake up. There's two ways that we can get to heaven. One is we can live a perfect life. If you, um, from the time that you're born until the time that you take that last breath, live a perfect life, you will go to heaven. However, the Bible tells us that some bad news and that it's impossible for any of us to live that perfect life. And so Jesus Christ, he gave up heaven. He gave up his position as the son of God and he came down and he became a man just like us. 
If you would have pinched him, he would have hurt. If you would have cut him, he would have bled. If you would have beat him, he would bruise. And he did that for us. And it's because he did that that he is the judge. He is the one who will sit in judgment of everyone. Well, the second thing about the, each of these judgments is that there's going to be a group of people called the judged. And when it comes to the judged and the judgment seat of Christ, it is going to be the believers. And under the great white throne of judgment, it is going to be the unbelievers. Let me just read two passages. Uh, the first one is in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. And it says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Now, I would argue that one of the most often quoted scripture verses is not John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's another one that says this, judge not that you be not judged. Boy, you don't have to spend your life in church to have that verse quoted to you. If you tell somebody you're thinking about going to church, they'll probably quote that verse. Well, judge not that you, don't judge me. And what's interesting is Paul asked the question, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And this is the important part. It's in verse 12. It says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, one day they're going to put a number after the dash. And you're going to have the opportunity to stand and give an account of yourself. If you choose to accept the gift that Jesus gave. If you do not, you'll find yourself later on at the great white throne of judgment with all unbelievers. In Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, it tells us this. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who seated on it, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Before this uh, world enters into what we all know as eternity is going to be the great white throne judgment. And if you think about these two judgments, there's a purpose for each one. The judgment seat of Christ, the purpose is this, to reward the faithful for their service. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says it this way. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or evil. And I want you to think about those verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, as we look at the purpose of each of these two judgments. And the purpose of the judgment of the judgment seat of Christ is very clear, to reward faithful service. And so when he says, so whether we are at home or away, I don't know if you've probably picked up on this, but that there are Christians who live one life here in the church and live a different life when they go home. 
Am I the only one who's seen that? And what the scripture tells us is that whether you're here in the church or whether you're out and about or whether you're at your home, we should all make it our aim to please him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. And then as you continue to read, it says, so that each one may receive what is due. One day when we stand in judgment, we're not going to stand beside our family. We're not going to stand beside our friends. We're not going to stand with our co-workers. We're going to stand by ourselves and we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. And what are we going to give an account of? Well, we're going to receive what is due for what has been done in our body. And there's two categories, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Well, if you look at the purpose for the great white throne of judgment, it's very simple. It's to settle the account. What account is that? Well, it's the account for those who have rebelled against God's righteousness. Revelation 20 and verse 15 says it very clearly. Then, or verse 13, it says, Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in, that, in the books, according to what they had done. In verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. In verse 14 in Revelation 20 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Remember in Hebrews 9, it said that um, it's appointed for us to die once. If we choose to uh, face the second death, it's a, cho a choice that we make on our own. And verse 15 in Revelation 20 says it this way, And if anyone's name, listen to this, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, one death is required. One death is optional because Jesus has taken that upon himself. Guys, with the slides, let's uh, get back to where it says the purpose and try to follow with me. The next thing about these two judgments is the date. If you look at the uh, great white or the judgment seat of Christ, the date that it's going to happen is, follow me on this, it's going to happen after the rapture, it's going to happen during the tribulation, and it's going to happen before the millennial kingdom. Now, if you remember that um, chart that I'd given you, and it had a lot of lines and a lot of uh, dates and so forth on there, um, during that point that was called the tribulation or what I call Daniel's 70th week, during that time frame is when this judgment's going to happen. Why? Because this is the believers, those who have been raptured before we go into what is called the, uh, where the, the, the wedding feast, which happens for seven years, we will face our judgment for what we have done in this body. Well, if you look at the great white throne of judgment, the date is very different. It's after the millennial kingdom. The Bible says it this way. All who stand before the judge at the great white throne will be condemned. Revelation 20 and verse 13. And the sea gave up its dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. But the fire will be hotter for some than others. 
Because there are some people who have absolutely spit in the face of God with their words, with their actions. And the lake of fire will be a little different for them. If you think back to the judgment seat of Christ, and um, there are a couple of criteria that, that happen when we look at these two. The judgment seat of Christ, the criteria is that any good works done should be done in the name of Jesus. And those that are done in the name of Jesus will be rewarded. See, as you think of those numbers, 1970 to 2019 of my dear friend, during that parenthesis, works are going to be done. That dash is filled with a lot of information. But one of the setbacks that we have as Christians is that sometimes we get too focused on outcome and we forget about purpose. What do I mean by that? Well, um, we are always wanting to accomplish something and a lot of times what we accomplish isn't really what is necessary. Think of somebody who uh, sets goals. Uh, Typically, one of the most set goal known to man and women is for a certain number to appear on the scale. And that's what we call an outcome goal. Like you step on the scale and there's a number there and boy, you want it to be one certain number and when it's not, it's frustrating and you kick the scale around and then you come back the next day and you step up on the scale and it's still not that number and you kick it a little harder. And see, the problem is that that, that goal is an outcome goal and there are performance goals that we have to take into effect. See, because if we do nothing but step on the scale, the scale is just going to give us back what we are asking for and that's the number. What has to change is our performance, and in this case, our purpose. As Christians, many times, we are not even aware of the purpose that God has in our lives. And if you're not aware of the purpose that God has for your life, what's the likelihood that you'll live up to it? Slim to none. And I think we're leaning towards none. So I think about this week. This week was a very busy week for me. But when I got the call on Tuesday... I immediately cleared my calendar. I cleared my calendar from everything that I had to do Thursday. I cleared it, everything that had to happen on Friday, and I cleared it for Saturday as well. Why? Because a young man and a young lady had just lost their dad. And they needed somebody. And so what I found myself doing was, in the name of Jesus, clearing out the schedule. In the name of Jesus, getting in a car early Thursday morning and driving. And in the name of Jesus, loving on a young man and a young woman who were hurting. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15 say it this way. According to the grace of God, and we're still at criteria. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it you know i think many of us are going through our days and we have no clue we're not doing what the scripture says and we're not taking care how we build upon it we wake up when the alarm tells us to wake up and when it the clock gets to a certain number we decide it's time to go to bed and the things that we do between those two times it's usually what we have to to get through 
Well, the Bible is very clear for us that that's not how we should live our lives. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11 says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, these are the things that we do in the name of Jesus, or if they build with wood, hay, and straw, these are the things that we do that are not in the name of Jesus. And, and let me just make some, uh, a point of clarity. You know, uh, when we hear the Bible talk about taking the Lord's name in vain, a lot of times we associate that with a curse word. But I think we miss the intent. And that is that we say we're going to do things as a Christian, or we say that we're acting like Christ, and we're not. That's how we take the Lord's name in vain. When we wear the name of a Christ follower and yet there's nothing other than that title that would give evidence to being a Christ follower. And one day we'll find out that there's a lot of wood, hay, and straw stored up for the day of judgment. Verse 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. What day is that? The judgment seat of Christ. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And, and I want you all to understand this, that we don't get to keep anything that we've accumulated during the dash. We don't get to keep anything that we've accumulated during the parentheses of our life here on earth. See, that's the outcome. When you think about all of the things that you're storing up that, that are precious to you, and, and folks, I'm not telling you not to do that, but I do want you to understand that that's not going with you. I've heard many a preacher say that he's never seen a U-Haul hooked up to a hearse. I didn't this week. You know, I've had the... I buried two men very close to me this year. Both of them had more guns collected than any other two men that I know combined in my life. They didn't take one of them with them. There were other things that they were collecting. None of those went with them. Only what we do in the name of Jesus will survive the parentheses. Only what we do in the name of Jesus will survive the dash that goes on our headstone. Only what we do in the name of Jesus will be part of the purpose that God has called us to. In verse 15, it says, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now that's the judgment seat of Christ. The problem with the, the great white throne of judgment is that there's only one final answer. And that is that they were judged, each one according to the works, and they were cast into the lake of fire. Well, if we continue to go down, we'll see that there's an outcome from each one of these judgments. The, great, the judgment seat of Christ, the outcome is very clear that we will stand blameless before the throne. Why? Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ did. Romans 4, through 25 says it this way. This is why it was credited to him, and it's talking about Abraham, as righteousness. Verse 23, the words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, 
Not just for Abraham, verse 24, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. He'll make us blameless for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. In verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to our life for our justification. See, when we're justified, it's just as if we'd never sinned. We can, you know, um, make no mistake about it, there's not a person in this room, not a person that hears my voice right now that has ever lived a perfect life. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we regret. We've all lived in a way that was dishonoring to our God. But if you look at the great white throne of judgment, everybody that stands before the great white throne of judgment according to Revelation 20 and verse 15 is condemned. The spiritually dead will be thrown into the lake of fire eternally separated from God in his presence. You're thinking, wow, that's a pretty harsh uh, judgment. Well, anyone who has rejected God's gift of salvation will receive the punishment for sin that is due. John chapter 3 and verses 18 through 20, let me read those to you. It says this, Whosoever or whoever believes in him is not condemned. But listen, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only Son. In verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The reality is this, when we take our last breath, what we've done here on this earth is going to determine what happens from that point forward. If we have decided that we're going to do it on our own, we're going to make our way through, one day we will be in front of that great white throne of judgment. If on the other hand, we recognize that there's no way possible that we could make it on our own. There's no way possible that we could pay the price that is required. And we recognize and we believe that God sent his only begotten son. That's the only chance for us to stand blameless at the day of judgment. You know, last week I told you that there's been a cosmic battle going on since creation. Romans 1 and verse 20 and through 23 says it this way. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Now, there are many people who will argue with this. You will open up scientific journals, you will turn on the TV, you will listen to a podcast, and you will find out that there are people who have been educated to the point that they don't believe in a God. They don't believe in a creator. Well, Romans says it this way, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. As much as we want to say that, you know, I just, I, I can't believe that there's a God. When we stand before God, they will have to be honest and recognize that it wasn't that they couldn't believe, it's that they didn't want to. And verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. And that leads them straight to Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death. 
But you know that, that Bible verse doesn't stop there. It goes on after the comma and it says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the answer to these two different judgments is very simple. If you want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you have to ask Jesus into your heart. And what happens then? Well, you live a life of faith. It's easy for people to question an invisible God. But one day, even when God will manifest in the flesh, will be down here ruling for a thousand years, they'll still question God. So don't think for one moment God has promised us that he's revealed himself. And the good news is you don't have to answer for the scientists. You don't have to answer for the smart people. You only have to answer for yourself. Galatians 6 verses 7 and 9 says it this way. Do not be, de do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And verse 9 says it this way. Let us not become weary in well doing good. Anyone here weary and doing good things? Anyone here feel like life is against you? Anyone here feel like you're stuck in a pit? I just want to share with you that you may want to come Wednesday night when we start a new series called You'll Get Through This. For the next six weeks, on Wednesday night at 6 p.m., I encourage you to join us because and find out how God will use the pit, how God will use the hard things in your life, how God will use that time where it seems like no one else is there for you. God will use that for good. Well, what if you're facing the great white throne of judgment right now? You've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You've never accepted the gift of salvation. My friend, I'll tell you this. Make sure your salvation. Mark 1.15 tells us the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I don't know how I can say it any differently, but I would not listen to the naysayers. I would not listen to the scoffers. I would not listen to the experts. I would listen to the creator of the world. James 4, and verse 13 and 14, he said it this way. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you, a, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You're nothing but a parenthesis. And then in the scope of eternity, it's just a blip in time. But my friends, that blip in time is the most important blip that you'll ever be a part of. Because eternity is way too long for you to be wrong. Yep, sometimes when you read the, the Bible, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And that's when you need to get rid of the knowledge of the world and you need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Because that is the only way, that is the only way that you're going to actually hear the truth. Because the enemy has taken the truth and he has twisted it, he has changed it. He started in the Garden of Eden with the first man and woman and he hasn't stopped. And he won't stop until he's thrown into the lake of fire. If you have not made sure your salvation, 
Don't leave here without doing that today. Well, maybe you say, Pastor Ronnie, I've made sure my salvation, what next? Well, let me do this. Let me share with you a Bible story in three points, and then I'll close. The Bible story comes from the book of John in the first chapter, and, and I'm just going to read verses 29 through 42. And it said, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and this is John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but, this, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw that the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. In verse 35 it says, The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. If you remember the, story, the Bible story I shared with you last week, the, the rich man in hell asked Lazar, Abraham to send Lazarus or somebody to one of his five brothers. My friends, when you go beyond this life, when you take your last breath, you'll not have that opportunity. But just like Andrew, today you have the opportunity. So let me leave you with three points. And these three points are very simple. The first thing is that we have a, a requirement to invite. Now, um, what do we invite them to? Well, I would encourage you to invite them to church. I would encourage, matter of fact, as you're leaving uh, the building today, you'll either see me or Gary, and we'll have these cards, and, and I'm going to try to give as many of these away as I can. And it says, you're invited. These are cards designed for you to give it to one of your friends. You say, I don't have a friend. Yes, you do. Your friend is a friend, a relative, an associate, or a neighbor. And if you'll notice, when Andrew invited his friend, his brother, named Peter, he did it as an individual. You know, a lot of times we just cast this big net out there and, and we hope that it catches one. And really what we need to do is we need a, a fishing pole with a, a line with one hook on it with a little bit of bait. And we need to invite one person. Well, not only do you need to invite them, but you need to start showing the love of God and you need to invest in them. And when I say that we need to invest in them, I'm here to tell you that you need to be focused on serving them, not trying to get them saved. Say, so wait a second, I thought you are a pastor. Yes, I am. But I'm here to tell you, shocker, 
that you will not ever save anybody. There's only one person that can do that, and that is Jesus Christ, and he works through the Holy Spirit. Our purpose, our mission, our intent that God has for us is that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we need to, have to, we need to learn to get off of the outcome and get engaged with our purpose. And our purpose is to love people and to love God. And you can't love people and you can't love God without the other. See, how do we do this? We do this in the name of Jesus. We do this in such a way that is not using the Lord's name in vain. We do this in such a way that we're effective for the kingdom. And the third point I want to leave you with is this. You need to learn how to introduce people. And I challenge you that you need to find these friends, these relatives, these associates, and these neighbors. And not only do you invite them, not only do you invest in their life, but you need to introduce them to three different people. The first person that you need to introduce them to is Jesus. Say, so, well, where, where is that going to happen? Well, obviously here at the church. But you know what? It doesn't have to be here at the church. You may have a better chance of introducing them to Jesus by telling your story. You know, unfortunately, many of us, we want to tell somebody else's story and we never share our story. Or we want to tell them what God could do for them and instead all we need to tell them is what God has done for us. See, that's your story. That's your testimony. And you'll be amazed when you start sharing your story and what God did for you. And when you get past the, the fact that you're embarrassed, when you get past the shame that you put upon yourself, why do you have shame when the Bible tells you, when I just revealed to you, that one day you will stand blameless before God? And it's because one day you will stand blameless before God, you can share with somebody what happened that allowed you to be able to stand blameless, that happened that allowed you to be justified just as if you've never sinned. Because I know many of you won't make it past lunch and you'll sin again today. Many of you definitely won't lay your head down tonight without sinning again. But glory, hallelujah, the good news is that all you have to do is take that back to Jesus Christ. And what does he say? I'll forgive you. See, when his disciples came to him and tried to trick him, say, look, how many times do we got to forgive my brother who's offended me? Seven times? That sounded good. It sounded like something that needed to be in the book of Revelation. He said, no, I say 70 times 7. And if Jesus is telling us as humans in our weak flesh to uh, forgive somebody 490 times, how many more times is he willing to forgive us? Who's the first person that uh, Andrew brought? It was Peter. And who's the person he brought him to? It was Jesus. Not only should you, the first person be that you introduce them to Jesus, but the second thing is you need to introduce them to somebody that can help them. I think about earlier this week, we're sitting in the gym. We had Young at Heart. We had Angels Cove there here for a luncheon. We got to hear about their ministry, and you're going to hear about them before you leave today. And it was interesting as I sat there and I was talking to the lady who had came and represented them. And she mentioned that they were looking at adding some services as part of a crisis pregnancy. 
And so I said, well, hey, uh, do you guys have any need for an ultrasound? She says, well, you know, we're actually looking for that right now. Well, would it surprise you that just a couple of months ago, I was sitting at another lunch table where uh, somebody said, hey, I've got a friend who wants to invest a million dollars in buying ultrasound machines for different crisis pregnancy centers. You see, that's how you do it. You introduce them to somebody else that can help them. In this case, uh, for Miss Joy, I was introducing, I'm going to introduce her to somebody that may be able to help uh, Angels Cove. Uh, you are going to find people that are able to help those that are in need, those that are hurting, those that are... Matter of fact, Tuesday was another day that we, we heard from another ministry going on here in Centralia that goes into the homes and helps people, helps young children that are in crisis. Well, you're going to find out that a lot of them are going to be introduced to somebody that can help them right where they're at. Whether it's food, whether it's cleaning, whether it's a bed, whether it's painting. Introduce them to Jesus. Introduce them to somebody that can help them. And then finally, I would challenge you that you need to introduce them to somebody that they can help. You know, uh, if you hang out with me long enough, you're going to hear me make this statement that God did not save us to sit. He saved us to serve. If you have been coming to our church for uh, any length of time and you don't quite have that satisfaction yet, uh, I'll promise you, you haven't got involved yet. Because the happiest people in this church are the busiest people in this church. See, the happiest people in this church have learned it's not about the outcome, it's about the purpose. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's about being on mission. It's about doing it in the name of Jesus. And when you learn to start doing that, you will find that there is something greater. When you read through the New Testament, do you see the name Andrew very often? The answer is no. We know that he was one of the 12 disciples. Matter of fact, we know that he was one of the first two. But yet we don't see much beyond the fact that he introduced Peter to Jesus. But guess what? Have you ever heard of Peter? Yeah. He wrote a, two books in the Bible. He preached one day and 3,000 were added to the church. Oh, I think he's the guy who walked on water. I know some of you just thought, yeah, he's also the guy who sank. Yeah, but you know what? He cried, help me. Let me close with this. If you pull out your note taker. If you look on the back of the note taker, it says there's seven ways that you can make a difference in September. I don't know about you, but I don't think there, matter of fact, if you pinch this person beside you and they jump, I promise you that anybody who has a pulse wants to make a difference. None of us want to just wake up and go to sleep and have nothing to account for that day. We all, God has, he has put this in your heart. He has given you this desire. And a lot of times we just don't know what it is. And we don't know have a, have a way to be able to explain it. And I'm here to tell you, God has put in your heart the desire to make a difference. And I want to share with you seven very simple ways that you have the opportunity to make a difference this month in September. Number one, you heard us ad nauseum talk about this campaign called Who's Your One? 
There is an opportunity for you to grab a book that has a 30-day devotional in there. There is a, a bookmark where you can take somebody's name and you can put their first name on it. Um, it doesn't have to go up on this board, but praise God, I'd love to see it up here. And for 30 days, you have the opportunity to pray for somebody. Now, we started this on Friday, but guess what? You don't, it doesn't matter if you didn't start on Friday. You can start today. And guess what? Maybe you forget about this and it becomes Wednesday. You can start on Wednesday. Two weeks from now, you're probably going to hear me say the same thing. It's not too late. Your staff for the last 30 days has gone through this already. And I can tell you that it has been an incredible blessing to be lifting up names, specific names for people that I believed needed to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If it can help me as a pastor, what can it do for you? I promise you, it will bring you closer to your Lord. Not only can you join the Who's Your One campaign, not only can you um, go online and do it, but you can do it on a book, on paper and pencil. How many people just like, I ain't ready for all that fancy stuff online. It's okay. We've got a book for you. Matter of fact, take one of the pens that's in front of you in the, the, the pews and use that to write in the book. Well, not only can you be part of this Who's Your One campaign, but folks, uh, I'm going to share something with you and ask you to be a part of this for the month of September, but you can check in online through Facebook while you're here at this church. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to do it now before we're finished. Why, why would we do something like that? Why would I brag to everybody that I'm at Temple this morning? Because somebody needs to hear that. There's somebody that follows you online that wanted to go to church this morning and they didn't. And right now they're beating themselves up. And they may see your post that you're at Temple and, and that may give them hope. You know what? I should have gone to Temple too. Or I should have gone somewhere else. And as simple as just sharing the fact that you checked in here. Not only that, but if you start watching our Facebook page over the month of September, we are going to be putting massive amounts of material out there. I would encourage you, if you know anything about Facebook, share the content. Write a comment about it. If it touches you, it's going to touch 10 other people if you'll share it. And in three simple ways, invite, invest, and introduce. This isn't hard. And the seventh way that you can make a difference in September is to pray. Simply get on your knees and, and petition the creator of the world, the almighty God, the Savior. Petition him on behalf of our church. Petition him on behalf of those people that are in your life that, that are hurting, that need something, that need someone, that need the Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that you would allow this message to have reached the hearts of the men and women here. God, I think you have called our church to make a difference in the greater Centralia area. And we don't do that, Lord, because of who we are, because of what we've accomplished, because of the a nice building that we have here because of the fact that we have a bus because of the fact that we have a children's ministry Lord we do this only one way and that's by lifting up the name of Jesus Christ 
If you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you would just slip your hand up and everyone else keep your head bowed, but if, if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, raise your hand. Let me just talk to you for a moment. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, it's very simple. It's easy as one, two, three. Number one, you need to recognize the fact that you're a sinner. The best person that's ever walked on this earth is a sinner. The only one that can say that they're not is Jesus Christ himself. And the second thing you need to realize is that there's a payment for that sin. Whether it's a little white lie or whether it's a lifestyle, there's a payment. And one day, it's appointed for all of us to face death. And after this death is judgment. All we have to do, it's too simple, is to believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and three days later he was risen from the dead. I would encourage you to follow me in this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I recognize that today I'm a sinner. And Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he came to this earth and was born a man and lived a perfect life and he was hung on a cross and he died for my sins God I'm asking you to be the savior of my life in Jesus name I pray Amen If you would stand to your feet Tony and Gary are going to lead us in a song of invitation. This is the time. What does it mean when we say invitation? This is the time where all for the last 35 minutes where the words I've been saying, where the Holy Spirit has been poking you in the chest. This is the time to do something about it. Because if you don't do anything about it, chances are you're going to walk out of here and before you get to Hardee's, you're going to forget what the Holy Spirit's been saying to you. Now's the time to work on that. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.